Chikai, hold that pierogi and that polka. You don't have to speak Ukrainian or be Ukrainian to get in touch with your Ukrainian-Canadian roots. Just tune in to Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio and join me, Pavlina, for an hour of contemporary and traditional Ukrainian music, folklore, and factoids for the culturally curious. Wednesdays at 11 a.m. here on CHLY 101.7 FM. If you do speak Ukrainian, stay tuned and join Oksana for an hour of Ukrainian language programming at 12 noon here on CHLY 101.7 FM. Наш отаман Гамалія, отаман завзятий, зібрав хлопців та й поїхав по морю гуляти. Зібрав хлопців та й поїхав по морю гуляти. Наш отаман Ukraine and a song called Nash Otoman Hamalia, the story of a Ukrainian hetman. And that was uh, the lyrics were composed by none other than Ukraine's national bard Taras Shevchenko. Dobry den, Shinovni Radio Sukhachita, Vitayevas, Sikh, Naradio Peredachu Nash Holos, Radio Krinskoho, Korinya. Yakapodiasivams, Yohodni, Tak, Yaki Kozhni, Sedede, Zodinati Toy Hodene, Dotrinati Toy Hodene, Nachveli CHLY, Stoden, Isim FM, Umistina Naimo. Primikrofoni, Zihodenu, Yapavlina, Idali Buda Oksana. Yakuish, Chori Shole, Perbutas, 
Znamy, następnych dwóch godzin my mamy dużo ciekawych nowych na średniejszym programie i cudowną ukraińską muzyką. Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio coming to you live from CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. I'm your host, Paulette Demchuk Macquarie, Pokrinska Pavlina, and I will be with you for this first hour, and Oksana will be along at 12 noon to host the show in Ukrainian. We've got a great program for you uh, in this hour. We've got a Ukrainian recipe, and we also will be speaking with the president of the Felshton Society in New York, and we'll find out all about the, what they're all about and uh, commemorating an event that took place uh, a century ago in Ukraine that most people don't know very much about. Not a happy event, but one that's worth knowing. And uh, so we'll be speaking with him later on as well. We'll have a little bit of information about Ukraine's national bard, Taras Shevchenko. We started out with a song written by him, a lyrics anyways, and um, we'll be having a little bit more coming up as well as an interesting factoid. So stay tuned for all of that. We've also got our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next is an American group called Malve, and that actually um, is the Ukrainian word for a flower called hollyhock, very popular in Ukrainian gardens over the centuries. Here they are now with a song called Serzysmietsya, My Heart is Smiling. Приходиш до себе, і місяць моргне, і зорі забудуй на небі не готить, коли ти зі мною замріяний Музика, щастя, грає мені, 
From the Nasholos Audio Archives, Ukrainian Food Flare. Hello. Do you know what millet is? Well, millet is a grain that is gluten-free. It is high in protein, vitamins, fiber, and minerals, and is easily digested. It was once a staple in the African... Chinese and Indian diets before rice and wheat became popular. The Chinese considered this to be a sacred grain. Millet is now becoming more popular in Canada. Try to use it because it is definitely beneficial to our health. Use it in stir-fries, soups, salads, stews, muffins, pancakes, or as a cereal. The first time I had the millet experience was when I was visiting western Ukraine. We were eating a very delicate millet and vegetable soup at a very beautiful outdoor restaurant. I had to laugh at myself thinking about all the years I've been feeding millet to my little bird friends, as most North Americans do. Millet is considered the caviar of bird seed. No wonder they know my address. I don't have a recipe for millet soup, but I do have a recipe for baked millet kasha. Remember, it is now easily available in most bulk stores, health stores, and many general stores. Look for it. You'll find millet flour, too. This is an important cereal in Ukraine. Oh, And what is kasha? It's any grain cooked like porridge. So let's get back to our grains. Here we go. Wash one cup of millet in a fine sieve until the water comes clear. Pour a couple of cups of boiling water over it and drain very well. Add two and a half cups boiling milk or thin cream along with a quarter cup butter a teaspoon of salt, and a half a teaspoon of sugar, and bring to a brisk boil. Stir a few times and boil for about five minutes. Cover tightly and bake it at 350 degrees for about three quarters of an hour. Serve with meat and gravy. This is definitely a nutritious and delicious dish. This has been Ukrainian Food Flare from the Nasholos Audio Archives. Ne mašao se, ne mažim ti, 
song by um, Michael Alpert and Julian Catasti from an album called Night Songs from a Neighboring Village. And it is um, medley of Yiddish and Ukrainian folk songs. And now I don't speak Yiddish, and uh, but it uh, sounds like Siz Gekiman. And the Ukrainian song was Ususida Khatabila, and that translates as um, The Neighbor Has a White House. Vyslouchejte radio programu Náš volos, radio Krínského Koríně, na radiostanci CHLY, stojdení sím FM, umístí nenajmo, hovorit Pavlina. You're listening to Náš holos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. I'm your host, Pavlina. Now, Ukrainian Jewish Heritage is a series that has been ongoing here at Náš Holos for several years now, is sponsored by Ukrainian Jewish Encounter of Toronto. The series, for me and also I hope for Náš Holos listeners, has opened a window into the fascinating centuries-old yet little-known history of Jewish life in Ukraine. It has also presented opportunities for dialogue between people of Ukrainian and Jewish descent who are working to make this history better known. Now, speaking to that, I recently received an email from Alison Zivin of the Felshton Society in New York. The Felshton Society is named after a Ukrainian town called Felshton, which today is called Vardiska. It began as a benevolent society organized in 1905 in New York City. And after a brutal pogrom in February of 1919 in Ukraine, in which some 600 Jewish people in Felshton were massacred, the Society provided refuge and relief to the survivors. A hundred years later, the Felshton Society is still active and is planning commemorative events to mark the centenary of this tragic historical event. On the line to tell us more about them, the Society, and the history behind it is the president of the Felshton Society, Alan Bernstein. Alan, welcome to Nasholas. Thanks very much, Paulina. It's great to have you, and it's great to find out about this story and about your society. No idea that um, about it. So tell us um, just a little bit about the background of the Felston Society. The Felston Society was begun in 1905, and it was known as a Landsmannschaften uh, organization, which uh, was formed to 
provide fraternal and other support to people who came from Ukraine, from this part of the Ukraine, and they got together as as, as a group of, of neighbors and and a group of family and, and other um, connections, business connections, and formed organizations to help themselves manage in the new world and also to have the opportunity to purchase burial plots mm. because uh, there, were cem- there were no cemeteries available to many of the immigrants that came from uh, Eastern Europe at that time. Mm. So there were, mm-hmm. there were many reasons why these, uh, why these societies were formed, but those are the primary goals. And so in 1919, when this ho- these horrible pogroms started, this was an added service that the society provided. Yes, the, the, there were there were additional things once once the pogroms occurred. Many of the people who were part of the society at that time became very active in providing relief to the people who had survived the pogrom. Uh, they were very active in uh, establishing orphanages for the children who were left without parents in, in a variety of different places in in Eastern Europe and. Uh, in Praskurov, a uh, t- town that is now called Kamelnitsky, mm-hmm. uh, and other places uh, where where uh, where there were groups of children that uh, were left uh, alone. So there were there was a tremendous amount of relief effort that uh, got carried on after after 1919 by our society as well as many others that were formed from the towns from the many other towns more than 1,200 towns that were affected by these events. Yeah, and they were horrific events. I mean, a lot of people got killed, and the world doesn't know about this that much. And so, you know, it's it's good. You, Allison was telling me that, you know, your society is working to commemorate this event because it's a century um, coming up, on, you know, the centenary coming up next year uh, with with events. So why don't you tell us a little bit about um, about what your, the events that are coming up? Uh, well, it's it's true that these uh, these events are are not as popularly discussed as the Holocaust mm-hmm. and as the Armenian genocide and many many of the other uh, uh, terrible things that uh, unfortunately man uh, does to man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have uh, decided several years ago, about probably about six years ago, we started working on this and thinking that that the 100th anniversary of the uh, pogrom was an important date that we should memorialize and and try to mm-hmm. use as an opportunity to shine some light on this uh on this on these events in history not only for our town but for the uh, for the more than 1200 other towns that were affected by these events and and the more than 200,000 people that were slaughtered in these years yeah. because these events did take place over a period of several years. So in our thinking about it, we decided that we, as we have done, we decided that we wanted to have a major event, a day-long conference-type event that would uh, provide people with an opportunity to hear about the, um, the history uh, or the historical context in which these pogroms took place. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the um, concept of the intergenerational transmission of trauma. Mm-hmm. And we're going to also uh, present uh, information about 
Jewish genealogy and uh, having an opportunity to, uh, for people to talk about how to establish family trees. Because when people go through these kinds of horrible uh, situations, uh, often family history and family roots are terribly disrupted. So mm-hmm. part of our part of our, what we feel our mission is to try to help people reconnect with their roots, to try to find their way toward uh, rediscovering uh, their ancestors and um, having a better sense of of where they came from, because uh, yeah. many people have have really not given adequate attention, mm-hmm. in my in my opinion, to really where they came from. It um, it never mm-hmm. fails to amaze me that practically whoever I run into uh, in New York, I live in New York, so practically whoever I run into in New York and I tell them about our society or I talk to them about what our plans are for the centennial event, they say, oh, you know what, I have a relative who came from there. Or, My husband has uh, people who came from a town. And I ask them what the town was, and they say, they don't know. Oh. <laughs> or they don't. So it's... It's uh, it's something that we really uh, took to heart and began to take very seriously. And since we had a group that was relatively intact because we have 250 members in our society, we felt it was important for us to be able to help other groups reconnect in the way that we were reconnecting with our past. Well, I, that's uh, certainly... An- an admirable thing to do because people don't know about this and even, you know, descendants don't know about this. And, uh, you know, really, I think I had a vague recollection, and probably most people do, from Fiddler on the Roof, right? The the story of, uh, you know, of that shtetl and people leaving it because of, of the pogrom. And it wasn't just people coming in and, you know, smashing up their home. It was it was actual wholesale slaughter, and it happened in more than one village. And there are no more shtetls, really, in Ukraine, are there? I mean, Felshton really is kind of the the story of the disappearance and, well, extinction, really, of the shtetl in Ukraine, isn't it? Uh, well, we went back to the town in 2010 because our group uh, erected a monument both for the victims of the pogrom and for the v- victims of the Holocaust because, as it turned out, although there were 600 of our uh, people slaughtered in 1919, when the Nazis came in and the Holocaust took place, they unfortunately slaughtered the rest of the Jews mm. that were living in the town at that time. Yeah. So there were, there were two purposes, and we have a monument that's now standing that both pays tribute to the people who were killed in the pogrom as well as the people who were killed in the, uh, in the Holocaust. So the town itself is a rural town. It's a farming town. People are still using horses and buggies, mm-hmm. and it's probably still very much like it was uh, in many respects 100 years ago, probably with a few light bulbs and TVs. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the town and its, and its character still remain relatively intact, but certainly without the Jewish element. Yeah. There, there are no Jews in that particular town. That's that's just so tragic because it means probably the history would have gone back centuries. Yes, yeah. that's very true. Yeah. So you've got this commemorative event, like a full-day conference coming up, and um, Allison also mentioned that you have another program called Who Will Light a Candle? What's that all about? Well, we have, uh, we're, we're a very small group, 
I'd say our, our labor capacity is very limited. Mm-hmm. But uh, we have a, we had this idea that uh, one of the things that would really offer us uh, an opportunity to expose uh, people to this idea and the ideas of uh, these events in, in the past, uh, one of the things that we thought was a good idea would be if we could get people involved in, in lighting candles. Mm. So as part of our uh, Centennial Memorial, we are asking people anywhere, really, uh, and of any persuasion, really, to light a candle for one of the people who died. And uh, uh, we're hoping to be able to have uh, 200,000 candles lit, one for each of the uh, people that died. That was Mm. That was one of the ideas mm-hmm. that we uh, we had. We're yes. also asking, uh, we're also in the process of reaching out to all the synagogues in the United States mm. uh, and Canada, actually, if we could mm-hmm. get to it. But as I indicated, our, our, our labor pool is, mm-hmm. is, rel- is relatively limited, so we're doing the best we can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we hope to contact every uh, synagogue in the United States and uh, help them understand that uh, we think it's important that they reach out to their congregants and find out who among their congregants might be connected to these mm-hmm. events in history and um, how they might be able to establish a, uh, a day of mourning in their synagogue so that those people who do have family and that came from that part of the world and who may have suffered would have an opportunity to say uh, the Jewish prayer for the dead, which is the, the Kaddish. And, uh, and then hopefully also light a candle. In addition, we're also beginning to uh, mount an effort to have a, uh, a, a national day of uh, remembrance uh, that we uh, will either work through the government or we'll mm. work through uh, actually trying to reach out to the Ukrainian government as well. Oh, wow. Uh, yes. That we could have a, uh, a national day of uh, remembrance that would, would gain some uh, attention uh, publicly. What the whole idea mm-hmm. is that we would like very much to um, acknowledge these events. We'd like very much to um, for people to become aware of these events that took place, to remember the people who perished, and to try to shine a, a light of uh, sanity in a world where it doesn't seem like uh, mm-hmm. uh, the value of human life is increasing. It seems to be uh, more and more that, you know, with the uh, tide turning against immigrants, and now we have a a world of 65 million immigrants and what's going to happen to those people. You know, so much of what uh, what we were able to benefit from, uh, what because our families were welcomed and our families had families who were here and could support them and provide jobs and housing and things like that. And, you know, those opportunities seem to be uh, in much less favor than they have been. It does, uh, yeah. Humanity does tend to peak and valley, doesn't it? Yeah. Well. Yes. Well, let's hope that it improves and that what you're doing will help to make people think as well as remember and apply lessons of the past to to the present so that there's a better future for everyone. The day that uh, you will be lighting the candle uh, and the day of of, um, the National Day of Remembrance, will that be the same day by any chance? And what day on the calendar is it? You know, Paulina, it's it's an interesting question, and some people have brought it up to us because these events took place over time. They took place over years. Mm-hmm. So okay. the February 16th, 2019 is the, the date for Felstein. Okay, gotcha. But for instance, our, our neighboring town, which is Praskurov, it's now, as I said, it's now called Kemelnitsky. Right. 
that that pogrom took place three days earlier. Okay. So according to Jewish law, it's supposed to be on a particular day, and we can't, we don't want to dictate that it should just be on February 16th. We're hoping that the synagogues will recognize uh, and help their congregants mm-hmm. uh, discover their roots and pick the date that they feel is most comfortable for them in the individual synagogues that we're reaching out to to establish a day of mourning. In terms of in terms of a national day, we're we're open. You know, we we feel that you know whatever day we can get you know established uh, would be fine because the, as I said, there's such a broad mm-hmm. range of dates in which these events took place. So it really you know we're really not. Mm-hmm. We're not quibbling over details in this. Sure, sure. Whatever well, date they assign us, we're happy to take. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the government, generally you are. <laughs> exactly. There you go. I figure uh, that's pretty realistic. Yeah. So then, uh, just to clarify, then the the two hundred thousand candles that you would like lit would that be on one day or spread out then? Uh, you know, we're we're happy to get the two hundred thousand candles lit. According to according to Jewish tradition, it should be on the day that people perished. You okay. know, people, that people passed away. It should be on those days. So, so as I said, somebody from Preskurov would light a candle on February twelfth. Right. We're we're going to do it on February sixteenth. We're, we're not. We're uh-huh. also not going to quibble over details on that as well. Okay. The the idea is to is to is to uh, inspire people to remember those who perished and to uh, you know to hold uh, their memories in their hearts for that day. And we're we're really not concerned about which day it is. Okay. What do you recommend then for people that aren't Jewish or haven't had didn't have relatives who perished but would like to light a candle in solidarity? What do you have any suggestions or requests? Yes, or we, we we're happy to have them join us at the Felstein Society and light their candles on February sixteenth. Okay. Okay. That that would be that would be wonderful. And we're hoping that, that people of all of all faiths and all walks of life would be joining us and, and sending us their support and their and contacting their um, uh, their clergy people and uh, helping them understand, helping their clergy people understand, uh, you know, the significance of this and why mm-hmm. uh, they would like to, as congregants of any faith, to participate in this. Indeed, yeah, nice. So, at any time of day of the day on the on the in the evening, generally, yeah. generally, his candles yeah. are lit in the evening. Yeah, okay, all right. Typically, what a yurtzeit <laughs> candle, which is what the Jewish name for a memorial candle, <laughs> is a twenty-four hour candle, and it's lit in the evening, and it's, it's set, set at sundown. Basically, the prayer is said, and okay. and that's when the candle is lit. Okay, so for those who don't know the prayer, just I guess any any prayer, I suppose, any prayer work. will yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, any oh. prayer will do. Well, that's great. Well, we're unfortunately running out of time. There's so many more questions I wanted to to ask you about the Felshton Society, but there was one thing: the 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 survivors of Felshton massacres uh, started to record their experiences into a book. Tell us about the Yiscor book. Uh, after the pogroms and after the society had a chance to deal with the horrors that they could, in fact, deal with with the orphanages and you know and the and the emergency relief and and bringing people to the United States from mm-hmm. from the Ukraine. After all that subsided, the society got together and they decided uh, that they would like to record what took place. 
And the, the method that they came up with was that everybody who had an experience should write a chapter, and they'll put all the chapters together in a book. Mm-hmm. So uh, in 1937, which was when the book was published, at that time there was something called the WPA, the Works Progress Administration. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a, a government agency that was formed during the uh, Depression to provide grants to people to do a variety of different things. In many cases, they did wonderful artwork, and in other cases, they did you know did other things. But the one thing that we got was a grant from the WPA to write a Yisker book. And the book consists of three parts. It's, it tells stories about the about the town, about the shtetl, and then it tells stories about the horrors of the pogrom. And there were a lot of eyewitness accounts, mm. people who barely escape with their lives, uh, people who have a lot of stories about who didn't escape and who was uh, a victim. And, uh, and then there are many stories about what happened when people got to the United States and how they established themselves and how the society functioned and how different kinds of internal political debates in the in the society itself. It was a mm. kind of a history of the society. Mm. That book was published in 1937. We're just in the process of a, a final um, revision uh, of the uh, translation that was done about 10 years ago. Mm. And uh, we're ready to publish it. Uh, probably by the end of the year, we'll have it published in a, in a new form and, and with a new binding. You know, it'll be a mm-hmm. beautiful new uh, publication. Wow, and that will be really useful for anybody. It will actually be a window back in time because it was written so long ago, so, you know, when memories were fresh. And I think it'll it'll be quite an eye-opener for anybody that wants to read it. So where can people find out more? You have a website, so tell us where people can find you and what's on your website. We have a website. Our website is www.felshton.org. That's F-E-L-S-H-T-I-N dot org. We have a lot of things on the website. We have bibliographical material. We have biographical material. We have names of people who perished in the pogrom. Uh, we have a whole uh, series of, of interviews that we've done, oral histories of people who have... Uh, who are first-generation Americans who have seen their families evolve from their parents who were immigrants to the present day. And we've got about six or seven uh, different oral histories that depict what it took for these families to uh, make it in the United Mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just chock full of of, uh, all the historical documents that we could get our hands on at this time, a lot of first-person stories that aren't in the book are a lot of a lot of news articles about Felstein and about mm. the things that happened uh, subsequent to the uh, pogroms and and up into uh, recent times uh, when we've uh, uh, had the opportunity to uh, do things that mm. that uh, that got published in uh, in local newspapers and and other periodicals 
And of course, so it's a, mm-hmm. it's a very rich, uh, we're very happy with our website. We think it's great. Yeah, I do too, actually. I visited it, and there's uh, lots, lots of stuff. <laughs> Thank there. you. I could spend a lot of time there, and I will be doing that. And, Thanks very much. Uh, and so there will be information as well about your upcoming events for anybody that is yes. listening from New York or is planning to visit or, yes. or, or would like to actually make a special trip to do that. I mean, the whole concept, uh, one of the things that really fascinates me, Alan, is, is the intergenerational trauma. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe finally at one point, this is a point in history where we'll look forward. And, you know, I can just imagine all the people that came after all the pogroms, after the world wars, and now as well, f- fleeing from wars. We don't, we just expect people to come in and, oh, just pick up and, you know, learn our, learn our customs and fit into society and carry on as if nothing happened. And uh, there's this incredible psychological and possibly physical damage to these people, and we just kind of just push it under the rug and don't deal with it. And I think it's something that needs to be dealt with. So I think you're absolutely right, Pauline. I don't mm-hmm. think there's any question about it. I think the world is looking at 65 million souls who are currently bereft of homes, jobs, education, children who are hungry. You know, I think this is this is a. Uh, I think it's a major, a major problem for uh, for humanity, and I think it's something that uh, we have to face. And uh, we hope that with our, you know, with our little group, kind of a David and Goliath story <laughs> here, but uh, mm-hmm. we hope that with our little group, we can uh, at least shine a little bit of light on uh, on what it took for us to uh, establish ourselves and become part of a a decent society, and and what it what it will take for. Uh, for the world to set itself straight uh, another hundred years down the road. <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> right. Well, well, it was wonderful to have you on the show and, and to meet up with you, and uh, we'll be bringing more information to our listeners about uh, your events and your society. And uh, in the meantime, people can go to your website and um, learn more about it and keep up to date. And uh, there, I imagine there will be updates when things are all finalized. So looking forward to that, Ellen. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk, Pauline. It's very wonderful that you uh, allowed us to do this, and I think it's, uh, I think it's terrific, and we're very happy about it. Great. Well, same here, and uh, thank you again, and we'll talk to you soon. I'll look forward to it. Okay. Be well. Take you care. Too. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we were speaking with Alan Bernstein, president of the Felshton Society in New York. For more information about the Society, its work, and the history of the Jewish community, or shtetl, in Felshton, visit their website, www.felshton.org, and that's spelled F like in Frank, E-L-S-H-T-I-N dot org. Vyslúchajte Radio Prochámu náš holos, Radio Krínskoho Korinja, na Radio Stancí CHLY, stojdení sím FM, umístí na najmo, hovorit pavina. You're listening to Narsholos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in beautiful downtown Nanaimo. I'm your host, Pavlina.
Did you know that there was a very special friendship between one of Ukraine's greatest historical figures, Taras Shevchenko, and a famously talented black American, Ira Aldridge? Although both men died in the 1860s, both of their images are present in the capital city of the United States. A mere two and a half miles apart, in Washington, D.C., stand monuments to Taras Shevchenko and to Ira Aldridge. The first was born a Ukrainian serf who was purchased out of bondage in order for his immense talents to blossom. The second was born a black in New York who, because of the color of his skin, had to leave his country to find the full glory of his God-given talent. At the corner of 22nd and P Streets in Northwest Washington stands the figure of Taras Shevchenko. This is a monument to the man, his writing, his profound commentaries on human dignity, pleas of help for the plight of the downtrodden, and his aspirations for his country, struggling under Tsarist repression. On the other side of the city stands the Ira Aldridge Theater on the Howard University campus. Portraits of both men hang in that theater. 
portraits painted by Taras Shevchenko and donated to Howard University in 1967 from the archives of the Ukrainian Academy of Arts and Sciences in the United States. Born a serf in Ukraine, Shevchenko was destined for a lifetime of servitude. Yet, when his owner left Ukraine for St. Petersburg, Russia, he took the young Shevchenko along. In St. Petersburg, Shevchenko's artistic talents were revealed. In 1838, the city's artistic circles succeeded in purchasing Shevchenko's freedom. Once free, he became a student at the Imperial Academy of Arts, and his artwork and poetic writing flourished. Shevchenko returned to Ukraine in 1845 to find great injustices. His poems criticized the Tsarist regime and chided the aristocracy's oppression of the peasants. For this he was arrested and deported from Ukraine to exile in a remote part of Russia and by the decree of the Tsar denied writing and drawing materials. Despite the Tsar's orders and the incarceration's terrible cost to his health, Shevchenko secretly composed some of his most powerful works while imprisoned and in political exile. But Shevchenko's Ukrainian and Russian friends, including Count and Countess Tolstoy, worked to secure his freedom. Finally, ten years after his arrest, Shevchenko was released. Forbidden to return to Ukraine, he returned to St. Petersburg, where he met the American Ira Aldridge. Aldridge had been born in New York and found his opportunities limited due to discrimination against blacks. He emigrated to England in 1824 and was soon performing in England's finest theaters. In 1858, Aldridge accepted an invitation from the Russian Imperial Theater to perform in St. Petersburg. Shevchenko attended the opening performance, and the two men were introduced. There are numerous letters and notes commenting upon their meeting and friendship. One of Tolstoy's daughters served as an early translator between Aldridge and Shevchenko, and wrote about the experience and their friendship. Shevchenko attended Aldridge's performances. Aldridge visited Shevchenko's studio and posed for the artist. They visited one another often and spent time in the same social circles, one that included many artists, performers, intellectuals. Their friendship was unique since they had in common not only the creativity of their personalities and their love of the arts, but their shared experiences of social oppression and their dreams of a better future for their people. Though free, famous, with powerful friends, living in the world of Russian aristocracy, neither seemed able to forget his past and the plight of his people. Those who wrote about their friendship noted that they often sang together. Aldridge greatly appreciated the sorrowful and melodic Ukrainian songs that captured the unfortunate plight of the people of Ukraine. Shevchenko, in turn, loved the songs of the Negro South, no doubt to great extent for the same reasons. When Aldridge returned to England, he took with him a portrait of Shevchenko. Aldridge returned to Russia several years later, but by then Shevchenko had passed away. Between 1861 and 1866, Ira Aldridge made several tours of the Tsarist Empire, including three trips to Ukraine, to Shevchenko's homeland, trips that had been denied to Shevchenko himself. Both of these men historic giants in their artistic fields and in their messages about the struggles of mankind for dignity and the perseverance of individuals died on foreign soil far from their homelands. Ira Aldridge's body remains in Poland. Eventually, Taras Shevchenko's body was returned to Ukraine from Russia. 
and their unique friendship remains a story for the ages. This information was excerpted from an article by Robert McConnell and comes from a U.S.-Ukraine Foundation update. Many thanks to Irena Bell of the Ukrainian radio program in Ottawa for sharing Chisnalave, Did You Know, with Nasholis listeners. You can catch her show at www.chinradioottawa.com.
And that was a group called Svitozaria, and a song to that theme uh, was called Amaretsky Krai, which means America Land. And, um, of course, that speaks to the Shevchenko-Aldridge friendship. And before uh, you heard Irena and her story about them was uh, Dmitro Bohush and a uh, contemporary arrangement of Taras Shevchenko's uh, classic Zapovit, My Testament. And our proverb of the week translates as, Only through good thought and deed can one secure the praise of others. Well, my time with you is almost up, and we've got one last toe-tapper by the By Request Band from Steinbeck, Manitoba, going out to you, Leona. And uh, it is the In the Barn Polka. And that brings us to the end of the first hour of Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Please stay with us as Oksana takes over the microphone to host the next hour, and she'll be talking all about Shevchenko. Meanwhile, please join me here again next Wednesday from 11 a.m. till 12 noon, and until then, do stay in touch with both of us via our Facebook page and Twitter. And make sure to visit the Nash Holos website where you can get the podcast links, a link to our blog, and other information about the show. And that's www.nashholos.com. So stay tuned next for the Nash Holos Ukrainian Hour with Oksana, followed by World Beat Canada with Vancouver's Cal Coat. And at 2 p.m., join our own Gord Bibby for two hours of Groovin' with Baby G. I'm Pavlina. Thanks so much for listening. To Zusrichi.
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.